All right. Well, good to see you all this morning uh, as we gather and as we uh, celebrate All Saints Sunday and sort of wrap up the teaching series that we have uh, been working through this month of October. All right. So our, uh, we're going to start with our scripture this morning. And our scripture passage comes from Hebrews 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16 and then the beginning of chapter 12. So hear this word from the Lord. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. And now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. She considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him, as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The word of God for us, the people of God. Uh, so we look back and remember the people and events who have shaped our lives. Those moments, those moments, maybe the ones of your favorite vacation spot that you go to year after year with your family and friends. There's the graduation, there's the wedding, there's the first baby pictures, and then the cycle starts all over again, right? It starts all over again. Gather up the memories. We recall the people who stood by us in good times and in bad. We remember our stories. 
If you're with me so far, you know that this is what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He helps us look at our family snapshots in the gallery of faith. That's what's happening. He says, remember Abraham. Remember Cain. Remember remember those, he goes on, who crossed the Red Sea. Remember Rahab. Remember these people who, though have passed, did you hear that part in the beginning? He still speaks. His faith, his witness still speaks. your story. Remember who you are. At this book of scripture, we learn who we are. We learn that we are not alone and that we are a part of a particular family. That is the family of God. So as we've already shared this morning, today is the day, well, it's either this Sunday or next Sunday, it is acceptable to celebrate All Saints Day. This life and the tradition of the, the, this moment and the, the life of the universal church that we set aside to remember the people who have gone before us in faith, to go kind of off of the metaphor used here in Hebrews, they have run the race with endurance and finished it well. Now they come back and sort of surround us and cheer us on as we run our race. Of this prayer from the common prayer for everyday radicals, it says, however hard it might seem to follow the way of Jesus in our own time and place, this is a day to remember that we may be crazy, but we are not alone. Because the world will call this foolish, the way of Jesus way of surrender, the way of sacrifice, the way of service. doesn't make sense to the way that our world is set up and operates. Hello, Pastor Joe Kay, who says this, death doesn't end our involvement in the kingdom of God. It merely transforms it. We can take reassurance and courage from knowing that those loving and prophetic people, the saints, they still march with us and work with us. They, they still guide us and lead us forward and and when each of us moves on, we will remain part of the struggle too. Know this, death is not the end. And we think about that in terms of the great reward, but I'm not sure we always think about it, how it might work in the opposite way. Those who have gone on to glory still in the struggle with us now. Uh, last night, um, some of you were there. We, uh, there was an Emmaus gathering. Um, there's a current walk going on for the women's walk, and, and several of us were there to, to pray over the pilgrims to share in communion. And when I walked in, I was shocked uh, to see Louise Hawkins sitting in the section right next to me. <laughs> Some of you know her. She is a pillar of faith at Fern Creek United Methodist Church where my parents grew up. And it just so happens that, her, that Louise knows my mom um, she's known her since she was in seventh grade, and my mom was in youth group with her daughter, Vanita. And it just so happens that Vanita and my mom went off and got married and settled down in Middletown United Methodist Church, where they raised their families together. Vanita and her husband, Arvel, I consider second sets of parents, practically, uh, people who formed my faith. And so to see Louise there, who I knew had been kind of in and out of some bad seasons of health. I haven't seen her in a long, long time. I mean, it, really, it literally stopped me in my tracks. I said, I have to go over and talk to Louise. The kindest, maybe most generous spirit of a person that you'll ever meet. 
She had come with someone from her church, a new person who didn't know my family. And the first thing she does is introduce me, introduce the, you know, help the new person feel welcome to what's going on in this sort of family reunion, just like Louise would do. And throughout the whole conversation, she kept saying to her friend, this one's mine, this one's mine, this one's mine, and just patting me. I call her nanny for a reason, because she's mine too. <laughs> and she's one of my living saints. Ooh, she is a living saint who has formed my faith and made me, her family, her whole family, the witness of her family. I mean, to the point that her grandson ran like cross country with my husband in college, weird connected. These are pillars of our family. So to see her sitting there, it was a moment where I, I, we are surrounded, my friends, and we are not alone. Sometimes it is the people who have run with you, but maybe just before you a little bit, who set the pace, who set the example, who show you what it means to follow Jesus Christ to have a generous spirit, to be a person of service and mercy and love and welcome. All of those things describe Louise Hawkins. This is really what I've been trying to convey this whole series, right? As we've talked about stewardship and talked about generosity and how we can offer ourselves as holy and living sacrifices, what does that even mean? And so I pulled in some uh, some conversations with the saints, right? Gave you some examples of maybe people you'd heard from before, or maybe not, but to say, here are examples that we can live by as well. People who have gone before us, who have figured out ways to offer their prayers and their presence and their gifts and their service and their witness, their, their whole lives for the glory of God. And these stories, even though some of them have been hundreds of years ago, their witness still speaks their lives still stand, right, of the, of the witness that they were for Jesus Christ. I told you about week one, Sarah Crosby, and through the way of necessity, she found a way to offer herself for the glory of God and, and preached in a time when she really wasn't supposed to, but stood in the gap and, and, and taught a, a class meeting and ended up being licensed to preach later in her life to give witness to the work of Jesus Christ in her life. Out of necessity, she offered what she had. We talked about St. Francis of Assisi, who offered through a way of poverty, but really his own surrender to the attachment of things, and how he discovered a life of simplicity, and a life of service, and a life of generosity. giving what he had, offering it to the mission of God, trusting that God would provide. He sort of sets that example of how we too might surrender to our attachment of things and find greater peace and greater relief in our trust in God. And then last week we talked about St. Nicholas, the original, who found a way of giving from what he had out of a way of generosity. I mean, the patron saint of all things, it seemed, the patron saint of anyone vulnerable and anyone in need, but seemed to always give in a way that was in secret or in private, that no one could really track or, or know or give him the glory for it. So I want to share one more short story with you for a saint this morning, and it's the story of Mary 
McLeod Bethune. Have any, have any of you heard of her? Yeah, all right. Some women's history over here. Ten points for Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> and how she, so what we're going to, how she offered herself and her story, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about her, gave of what she had through a way of sort of influence, her circle of influence to witness to Jesus Christ. So she's an American educator, philanthropist, humanitarian, ended up becoming a civil rights activist. She was born in 1875 in South Carolina in a small log cabin. Y'all, she was the 15th of 17 children born to her family, born to her parents, Sam and Patsy, both former enslaved people. And most of her older siblings were born into slavery as well. Uh, she was not, so she lived in a time when we were seeing the you know, emancipation and some major change that was happening. And so she had opportunities at a young age to become educated. I uh, took an early interest even in being educated with the help of some other people. She attended college, hoping to become a missionary in Africa. The Methodist church claims her as, as being Methodist, but she also attended a Presbyterian church. And she was a part of the communion of our shared saints, my friends and was hoping to become a missionary in Africa. She started a school for African-American girls in Daytona Beach, Florida. There's the next slide there. It later merged with a school for boys, um, but she ended up becoming the president of this school um, from 1923 to 1942. She was the president of this school. One of the few women in the world to serve as a college president at that time. Uh, so her work with the college and national organizations and her involvement with other political advocacy, registering people to vote, other things, led to an invitation from President Hoover at the time to attend a White House conference in 1930. And it says she capitalized on this invitation and left the conference a leading advocate and voice for African Americans in the United States. Whatever sort of opportunity she saw, whatever platform she was given, she used it as an opportunity to be an influence for others, for her neighbors, motivated by her faith in Jesus Christ. She is known as kind of being a, a, a close personal friend of Eleanor Roosevelt when she was first lady and then was instrumental in gaining sort of access, regular access uh, to the present, pre, to the president um, in which she served on a lot of different committees uh, and really advocated in a time in a, in a really sort of scary time, as Jim Crow was really, you know, becoming a thing, she was advocating for the betterment and for the equity and for the justice of African Americans in this country. She was the highest paid African American in government at the time. Let's see, in 1939, she became the director of Negro Affairs, highest paid African American in government at the time with a $5,000 salary. A different time, but important nonetheless. So she used her platform to, to push for racial and gender inclusion and, and championed sort of equity, um, you know, equity and improvement for, for all of her brothers and sisters. Here's what I want us to hear, though, this morning. Her authority was not an inherited status or position that she bought with money. Instead, she carried herself with moral authority. 
She was motivated by her love for Jesus Christ. And she did what was right, even when it was hard. So she enjoyed teaching and spending time with poor children, fearlessly facing uh, opponents to the work that she was doing. Uh, Confidently walked into the White House to advise the president and the first lady, undaunted by these obstacles, regardless of who disagreed, including whenever she would receive threats from the KKK to stop her, some of the work that she was doing and organizing. She used her position and influence to serve and to be a witness. You know, and we say part of our membership vows, we support this church through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. That was added later, that fifth one. And I think maybe we don't talk about that as often as we could or should. But what does it mean to commit to following Jesus Christ, that part of our discipleship and supporting the mission of this local church is I'm going to offer my witness? It could mean a lot of different things in a lot of different places. But I think one thing is that we are recognized the circle of influence that we have, each of us in this room. The circle of influence, the impact that we can have on the people around us as living saints who are running this race right now. There are people watching you run your race. And whether we like it or not, we are forming them in their own faith and in, our, and in their own witness. You are a Louise Hawkins to someone, whether you recognize it or not. How are we offering our witness, our influence, taking every opportunity that we see to serve and advocate for our neighbors, to offer all that we have? So as we kind of wrap up this part and before we move to to sort of naming uh, the Louises in our own lives, I want to ask you just a kind of a moment of reflection. Who are the people who have shaped your faith today? Who would be in your sort of faith photo book? If you were to be like my son and to pick up a book and to start flipping through and look and asking all these questions about people who've gone before you, who would that be? Who has shaped you to be the person you are today? And then who is in your circle of influence? Who, are you, who is watching you that your witness might impact their life and their faith? Each week I've sort of challenged you of, of sort of pondering all these things in our hearts and in our minds, of offering our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, and then I've challenged you Pray about these things. Go home. Take one of our commitment cards and say, how can we be inspired by some of the stories that we've heard? How can we really commit and to partner with, to offer all that we have in response to God's goodness and grace first for us? And then join with what God is doing through this church with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, our witness. I'm pleased to to let you know that uh, as of Friday... At 3 p.m., we have received 25 commitment cards of the 60 packets that we have sent out. And of those 25 commitment cards, we have had two new givers and seven increased gifts and at least five new people volunteer for the AV booth and two new people sign up to serve the kids upstairs. Don't hear, if you haven't filled yours out yet, don't hear that as you don't have to then, okay? 
I'm just saying, people are responding and our needs are being met. And right now, of those 25 commitment cards, we have 42% of our, of our approved now budget for 2023 committed. And I want to tell you, friends, that in case you weren't able to stay last week for charge conference, um, spirit moved in that meeting. The spirit moved. Finance team had presented a budget that reflected our current financial situation, which I'll just say that sounds like our current financial situation. I'll just say giving has been pretty down since the summer. And in a season when we usually see it turn around and pick back up, it, it really hasn't. And so we were trying to be good stewards of, of what we see and, and use our gifts wisely and to, to respond to the needs of our community here in this family as well as the community out there that we serve. And so we presented a budget that had some pretty significant reductions. And the spirit moved, and y'all said, no, <laughs> we're not, we don't need to do that. We, we can, in faith, respond and not have any reductions. And we had people on the spot responding to give, responding to serve, responding to sign up. It was a powerful meeting. It really was. And I'm so grateful for so many of the leaders who, who engaged in that process. I've been calling it our family meeting. And everybody's invited to that family meeting. And everybody has voice and vote at that family meeting. So I want to encourage you. That revolution, that spirit of Christ, the, the revolution is contagious, y'all. <laughs> and I want to invite you that if you haven't yet filled out your card, this isn't check the box, you know, just you know, just go through the motions. I wanted to invite you into a spiritual discernment process to say, what is God calling me and my family to do right now as a part of this community of faith? That we can continue to join Jesus and the revolution of transforming lives through teaching and service. Because God's at work here. And God's at work out there. And the mission of God is waiting. And we respond, we offer all that we have to join that mission for the furtherance of God's kingdom here. Not for our glory, not for the revolution to be super cool, not for it to be all about, but for the glory of God, the kingdom of God. That's what we're members of here, the kingdom of God. So I'm going to invite you now, uh, as I sort of gave you a lot to think about, some questions. I gave you some, a challenge with your commitment card. I'm going to sort of close in a prayer now as we transition to the table where we join with that great company of heaven as we come to kind of respond to receive this gift of grace that God has given us and to come to this altar table and to offer all that we have for the furtherance of God's kingdom here. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for who you are. and for the voices and witnesses of the saints that still speak today. We thank you for the ways that the people who have gone before us have informed our faith, all the way back from the ancient church to the, to the saints that have been officially canonized, to the people that we know and love, past and present, who have made us the people that we are today. God, we recognize that we do not gather here alone. We have not come to this spot alone. But you have gone before us and, and loved us and led us through your grace. 
So God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this family. We thank you for the ways that you are at work here. And we pray that you would give us courage this morning, courage to step out in faith, to respond because of your great love for us. Because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, because we are not alone, and because you have run the race and now sit at the right hand of the Father. God, we know that we can have the courage we need to run this race here well. So speak to our hearts this morning, Lord, as we respond. Would your spirit come and lead us and comfort us, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.